Welcome to another episode of Rank Up. This is Michael Hodge, and I'm going to walk you through today's episode. We're talking about evaluating instructor performance. I mean your own performance as an instructor, and also potentially reviewing and evaluating someone who's on your team. So maybe you have five or six or many more instructors who work for you. How do you know they're doing a good job? Other than just, okay, you know, we don't have that many students quitting, etc. Sometimes it's hard to connect instructor performance with the business metrics because there are other reasons people quit. There are other reasons they could be dissatisfied. There could be things happening with jobs and with scheduling and with other activities. And obviously there's a lot that goes into that. So we really want to have an objective way to evaluate our own performance or that of an instructor. I really wish I could have someone walk in the door and just sit down some, you know, high level martial arts instructor. They have a checklist in front of them and they actually go through and they just essentially grade me or evaluate my class. And then at the end, at the end of the class, like here, you know, you got a 73. Like you need to work on this, this and this. Wouldn't that be awesome? You know, I'm someone who's all about self-improvement, about the Kaizen way of life. So I really would appreciate something like that. And what I found is we can at least get close to that by doing our own evaluation on ourselves. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that or, again, doing it um, for others. Now, if you're a student in the CMAT, the Certified Martial Arts Teacher course and certification, or if you're already a CMAT, you went through this. There's a lesson called Evaluating Instructor Performance. We talk about it. We go through it. You see an actual example of a student who is being evaluated by Mr. South and he gets uh, feedback at the end of that video. And then it also includes the entire evaluation that you could uh, print out and use on yourself, essentially. So if we're talking about reviewing our own performance, you could ask another martial arts instructor that you know, that you respect, to come in and please use this evaluation form and score your class. If you have a friend who would do that for you, it's worth asking them to do so. Alternatively, you could film yourself teaching the entire class. Just set up your phone on a tripod in the corner and ask everyone, hey, or just tell everyone, today I'm going to be filming class and it's just so I can review um, the class so I can see if there's anything I can improve upon or maybe I'm passing this on to my head instructor so he or she can watch over it as well, etc. And typically, it's a good idea that your students have already signed a video and photo release that's actually ingrained within your regular student agreement um, so that it's not a problem for you to be taking pictures and photos anyway, which in this day and age, you need to be able to do for marketing and promotional purposes. And again, that's a big benefit of enrolling into something like the Certified Martial Arts Teacher course where you actually get reviewed and graded as you're teaching a class or teaching a lesson by myself or any of the other CMAT instructors, which is part of it. It's not just about learning the material and doing these lessons, but it's actually completing the assignments and getting that back and forth feedback, and that's going to push you to become significantly better as an instructor. Now, the evaluation that I'm going to be reviewing today, it's specifically designed for a kid's class, but you could essentially just omit the sections that are not relevant to an adult class, such as like the mat chat and maybe the black belt skill drill. But otherwise, just about everything else is relevant for kids and adults. So I'm going to walk you through the instructor performance evaluation, and you're just going to be listening to it as I'm talking about each section. Just kind of think about how you're doing in that area and maybe take mental notes on something that you should be uh, having a little bit more of an attention on whenever you're teaching class tonight, for example. So first is class timeliness or time management. The class began on time. You've got to begin your class on time. Even if it 
you have a couple of students that you know are running late, if your class starts at 7 p.m., your clock needs to be set properly and it starts at 7 p.m. always, the class ends on time. I'll admit, I run my class over a minute or two sometimes. Like if we're having an amazing game at the end or a drill or whatever it is, something really meaningful and powerful, or like last night we did some really good sparring and then we did um, like 50 reps of an ab exercise or something just to really push ourselves out at the end of class. And I ran class over two minutes. So I'm okay doing that, especially if the next class doesn't start for another 5, 10, 13 minutes. But if your next class starts immediately at the same time as another class ends, which is already a bad idea anyway, you shouldn't schedule your classes that way, but you need to respect the time that the class ends. And that time management was great. All sections of the class were taught. Nothing was left out, and all timing was consistent. Now, if you overscheduled your class plan, it's possible you have to omit something and then do it in the next class or something like that. We do have to pivot sometimes. But we don't want to do like a 15-minute warm-up and then only have a little bit of time left to do our curriculum sections. I've seen classes like that before where a student will, uh, excuse me, not a student, an instructor will really go overboard on their warm-up or they'll go really overboard on their match hat and just turn it into this 15-minute powwow session. And we really want to be mindful of getting everything in and having a good uh, pace and a good ebb and flow of the energy in the classroom. The next section is student protocol or respect. Really, this is about did the students follow the protocol, um, the traditions even, of the style or of the school? Were they very respectful overall to you as the instructor or whoever the instructor was and to one another, whether they're adults or kids? So, for example, students were sitting legs locked in the on-deck area waiting for class to start. That's something that we do. They have a particular uh, legs cross stance that they're supposed to be in before class starts. They're not playing around, rolling around, hitting bags. You know, I have this issue every once in a while myself in my school, but you got to nip that in the bud and make sure that you set the example and that you're pointing out, hey, look over here, Lucy's sitting like a blackboard. That's exactly how we're supposed to do it before class and just kind of uh, complimenting those students who are doing things right and uh, regaining that control even before class starts. So students were following listening positions and anchors well, such as responding with yes, sir, and no, sir, or any other anchors that you have your students repeat back to you. So this could even be like key eyes or yells of some sort, key ups. If you have the class doing a key eye after every single kick, and they're like, yeah, yeah, and they kind of like get monotonous, and they just aren't really yelling. Or if you ask them to do something, like, oh, yes, sir, like three kids say yes, sir. Or even in your adult class, like a couple of people say yes, sir, and then the other ten don't. You, you don't have an overall level of respect and overall um, level of really control over the classroom floor, so you need to make sure that that happened in your class. Students were respectful to the instructor and each other. Any misbehavior problems were immediately corrected and controlled. Again, these are things that sometimes we don't want to look at. Whenever we, aren't, whenever we don't have anyone to grade our class for us and we're our own boss, we're the head instructor, Sometimes we get a little lax on these things, and we need to make sure that we do this evaluation, actually do it by filming ourselves or having someone come and watch us and fill out the evaluation at least once every three months, or mentally going through it as I'm talking to you right now will at least uh, get you in the right direction. There was no talking or moving during the class when it was not allowed. Now, clearly there might have been a little bit, but 
we're talking about teaching like the perfect class here. So ideally that didn't happen because we have this overall culture where when people are in class, they know we're here to train, we're here to make ourselves better, and it's not just social hour. And the instructor was respectful to the students and all others in his or her presence. Also making sure that if we were the ones that taught this class, we were respectful, that we treated everyone the right way. We didn't play favorites, that we actually followed the golden rule ourselves and didn't have some sort of high horse just because we're the ones with the black belt on and we can throw out push-ups and make sure people do things just because we're in a bad mood or something like that. Okay, so on to the next section, which is warm-up. Again, this is more for a kid's class and a shorter class length, but the warm-up was five to eight minutes long. That's typically typically the length I do for a kid's warm-up. Now, if I have an adult class, the warm-up's going to be longer than that, perhaps 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes, just depending on the length of the class, but something around 10 minutes is usually good. The warm-up brought the energy and the class to level 10. Did it or did it not? Like, honestly answer that question. Did everyone's energy get up to a really high level that then rolled into the black belt skill drill in your curriculum sections and basically allowed you to rock out the rest of the class? Or was it just you totally destroying them by making them do a hundred burpees and then at the end of the world they're like, ah, uh, yeah, I have no, I have no energy left. Um, so you kind of want that happy medium where you get bursts of energy, you're moving, you get some dynamic stretching and flexibility in, and that energy still stays at that level 10 peak and then you can move into the next part of your class. And the next um, point here, it was interesting, different, not a boring warm-up. It's a big pet peeve of mine whenever instructors do the same warm-up every time. It gets very boring for students. I don't care if you're 70 years old, 7 year old, seven years old, or 15 years old. Changing it up, whether it be a martial arts-specific exercise that you're doing, you could be running around the room, you could be doing animal exercises, you could be doing relay races, you could be doing tons of different things, but you're changing it up. Um, while you're still accomplishing the goals of the warm-up. Students were inspired to do their best through external motivators. So you might have not heard of what I call an external motivator yet, but it's things that allow you to push your student to the next level. It could be you complimenting a student right next to them. It could be you you clapping. It could be having the students all clap. It could be having the parents uh, become involved in a drill. There are lots of ways to create that motivation from the outside. Of course, internal motivation is what we want. But as you and I know, only a small handful of our students walk in the door with this amazing internal motivation. It doesn't matter what happens in class. They're going to totally kill it. They're going to do an amazing job on everything. Um, for everyone else, it's our job to be a coach at some to- at some point, right? So we're, we're a teacher and we're a coach. Teacher as in we're actually conveying information and we're helping our students learn and grasp new ideas and understand the value in them. And then coach, making sure they're doing what they already know and staying at that high level, even though their body or their mind wants them to slow down and quit. The next section is the black belt skill drill. Black belt skill drills are actually whenever we focus on a particular quality of a black belt, such as intensity or speed or accuracy. It's not necessarily the technique that we're learning. We might be doing an accuracy drill that uses a back kick, but then the student's partner has to hold a ring and like a small hula hoop, for example, and they have to kick all the way through in the very center of it without touching the outside of the ring where they have to do three squat jumps. So it's forcing them to have that very good aligned body control, body alignment, 
And really they're, they're building the skill of accuracy rather than just doing the kick itself or learning how to do the back kick. So just to get in a quick uh, preface of what a black belt skill drill is, if you have never heard of that, the black belt sk- skill was properly pre-framed and tied to a mental and physical movement of benefits. So, for example, focusing in karate class and doing a test at school and not just in one form. So we're not just talking about how to use accuracy for martial arts, such as hitting the right target, whether it be the bridge of the nose or the solar plexus. We could be talking about the importance of having a level of concentration where we can be accurate with our answers while we're in class. Because if we don't show our work, we don't do all the steps in a formula in math class, we're not going to have an accurate final answer. So what we try to do is relate that martial arts black belt skill with a mental or character type benefit. And the question is, did you do that? Like, did you do that in your drill or did you just jump straight into the martial arts movement itself? The upcoming stripe test or graduation was pre-framed. This is an important thing that actually I'm reminding myself that I need to do this a little bit more often as well. And that's why it's good for me, even as an instructor, to review this evaluation and make sure I'm doing it myself. So, for example, if applicable weeks three and four of a month are you going, or when you're going to be doing this more so. In week three, that's going to be the week before the stripe test. Um, so you're reminding her, hey, next week is going to be our stripe test. And then, of course, the week of the stripe test, you know, if it's Tuesday, for example, or Monday, hey, next time you come to class is going to be the stripe test or graduation. So we want to be tying those things into class and making them important and relevant. The drill was well demonstrated and there were very clear instructions and expectations. This is a problem that I see with a lot of instructors. They they don't really demonstrate and show how to do the drill. I like to demonstrate the drill with actual students so everyone will be on their knees and then everyone will be watching the students do the drill or I'll be one of the students with one of them if it's a partner drill. It's very clear and they know how to do it. They know the expectations and then they can do it. Okay, so don't throw them in the water. The drill was interesting, exciting, fun, and challenging the students to improve on that particular black belt skill. Just making sure that the drill was essentially a success. It was fun. It worked. It actually did improve that particular black belt skill. It wasn't just some sort of game. The next section of class that we'll evaluate is curriculum. This is where we actually teach the curriculum sections. Whether we teach Taekwondo, Brazilian Jiu-Jitsu, Aikido, whatever it is, this is where we're actually going to do the techniques that we are going to focus on in this class. The curriculum section was presented with an impressive and full use of the stages of teaching. The stages of teaching is a special way that we actually introduce a new technique that we're going to instruct to our class. So that's something that could be a whole nother podcast episode, and it's also covered in the Certified Martial Arts Teacher course. But the stages of teaching is really about pre-framing a technique, demoing it at 100% effort, and then you do a high level of instruction, very detailed breakdown, more of a mid-level than a low level, as your students are practicing along with you slowly, and then you're getting repetitions in, and then typically a drill afterwards. During the curriculum repetition, the instructor kept the energy to a high level by using external motivators. This is one of those moments in class where it can get a little bit low energy, a little boring almost, um, a little monotonous, depending on if the instructor continues talking, 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 and if he's actually looking for and demanding that high level of um, proficiency and energy from the student base. 
at least one to two students or groups were positively highlighted in front of the entire class. It can be really easy to forget to do this, but we want to highlight at least one or two students or groups every single time we have curriculum sections because it's going to give you an opportunity to highlight those A students and even the B students and the C students over time. You don't always want to choose your very favorite student and be like, hey, look over here, Jamie's the very best, look how good she did this, etc. You want to have that ability to find golden nuggets, find diamonds in the rough, really, um, from every student. It could be one student who finally kicked above his belt, and you point that out, like, hey, everyone, check this out. Jimmy, this is so awesome. Jimmy's kicking up above his belt now. He's made a lot of progress. Give him a high five. Uh, give him two claps right there. Or give him a round of applause, whatever you want to do. The energy remained high, but controlled and transitioned between the two different curriculum sections. Or you could have three curriculum sections, especially if you have an adult class or a longer class. This is something that I find uh, there could be a big drop in energy, and I'm just, I don't like downtime at all. So when we finish, let's say, a kickboxing section, and we're going to move on to a Krav Maga section, in that transition, sometimes I'll have all the students race to do 30 jumping jacks as fast as they can, or I'll have everyone knock out 10 push-ups, or they'll go to the praying mantis position, which is just like an ab hold position, an isometric hold, something that can keep the energy up and interesting and exciting, even in between curriculum sections. I know I sound pretty manic about keeping the energy up, but for me, um, that's just the way I run my classes, and I don't like to have downtime and to have people just hanging out and uh, treating the, the dojo or the facility like it's just some social hour. Like I said, we're here to make ourselves better. We're here to become the very best that we can possibly be. And as an instructor, it's my job to, to bring that to you. So that brings us to the mat chat section. Again, this here is a section that might not happen in an adult class. Some adult classes do use something like a mat chat. When I was growing up, at, well, and also when I was a teenager, in my original school, we did something called the circle. And each individual student got to say their name and they got to say something they learned in that class and if they really just want to add on something else. Sometimes people would pick a spoke off of the will. There is a will that was similar to the eight ways, and also sometimes they would even uh, state a Bible verse or anything like that, but uh, that was for kids and adults. But a mat chat I'm also talking about specifically to kids uh, on a particular character topic of the month. So in the mat chat, students were in a focused, controlled half circle in front of the instructor. If they're moving around, sitting down, like lying down on their back, looking like they don't really care, that's not good. The circle was close to the parents. Please don't be that instructor who's too shy to be near the parents who's in the far corner. No one can hear what you're saying. The mat chat is just as much for the parents as it is for the kids. Not only because the parents probably need to hear a lot of the things you're talking about. I'm not teaching my kids how to tie their shoes. I'm not teaching them how to use the bathroom without a diaper on. I mean, this month we talked about vision. We talked about um, Helen Keller's quote, which is, uh, the only thing worse than being blind is having sight but no vision and that was really powerful and that was really the basis for the entire conversation that I had this month last month was empathy so we have some really meaningful conversations in my kids class right now that is incredibly useful for parents to hear but even if it is something simpler just having self-control self-discipline whenever you talk about these things your parents 
are going to hear it and they're going to be able to reinforce it and be a partner in education with you. The instructor was loud enough that the parents were obviously being addressed simultaneously with the children. That's really very similar to being close enough to the parents. The Matt Chat heavily tied in the benefits of martial arts training to the black belt excellence quality. So we like to tie in how martial arts will actually help a child build out that particular quality. So if we are talking about something like self-discipline, you could talk about how whenever we're training in class and whenever you've already done 500 kicks and you have to do another 50 kicks and then you have to do three more katas or whenever you take your black belt test and you have to do 12 katas in a row and then you have to go spar for two hours, we have to build the discipline to, to not give up on ourselves or this could be perseverance, for example. This could be related to uh, some sort of martial arts quality that you can then tie back into the character quality that you're helping children or adults learn. One or more clear, simple, visual, or oral examples were given to help explain the character theme. It's important that you give a quick story from your own life, or you let students even give uh, an example of something that's happened in their life. They raise their hand, you pick on them, and they get to say something. Or a visual example of what you're talking about. A lot of these concepts are incredibly abstract. If you talk about self-discipline to a four, five, six-year-old, it doesn't really mean anything. You have to connect it to something visual. You have to connect it to a real visceral feeling even that they can get. Or talking about self-control where they're learning how to not move their body or their mind. So teaching them that attention stance and without moving a muscle and showing them how it can allow them to calm their mind as well. And now they have a physical, a visceral feeling of what self-control actually means. Now it's no longer just some abstract word complex that you're saying. And finally, the instructor seemed knowledgeable and well-prepared for the match hat that was delivered. I can really call someone out on this one. If they didn't prepare, they don't really have anything to say, they're just pulling something out of their hat, make sure you have something ready for your mat chat. You have a story, you have at least one question you'll ask the students, you have something to say to make it powerful and to clearly show that you're well prepared and you're a leader in character education, which we want to be seen as as martial arts instructors. The next section is announcements. Sounds simple, right? You just read out the announcements or whatever and you're done. Okay, so let's review a couple of things though. The instructor was standing, reading out the announcement with a clear voice. It's best to stand up and really address everyone, the students in your class and everyone who's in the seating area watching the class. All announcements were read while the instructor was making eye contact with the parents and the students and all handouts were given out properly, if applicable. Again, this is just check boxes to have someone do if they're doing this evaluation for you, or even if you're evaluating yourself. End game. So I like to finish my class with an end game for kids and adults, and this is something that really should have something related to martial arts, but it's also for fun and ending class on a high note. Did the students deserve to play the game? Did they have great performance and behavior throughout the class? That, to a parent's perception, would merit them the reward of the game. That might have been a mouthful there, and it sort of was for me. But what I'm trying to explain here is that if your kids misbehaved all class, they were all over the place. You had a couple of kids in particular who were just totally disrespectful. And then you're like, all right, guys, you did so good today. We get to play your favorite game. 
you have no backbone as an instructor. Like, no one trusts you anymore. You can't do that. Okay, give them a chance, though, if they're doing kind of bad. Like, hey, guys, we've got to do a really good job on this last drill here. If you are really showing me that you're focused, you're following the rules, you're giving me your 100% effort, we get to play a game still. If not, we don't get to play one today, okay? So you can kind of use it as a bargaining chip. And if you have a couple of kids in particular that just did really, really bad, they might have to sit out during the game. But ideally, if you can have them sit out for half of the game and then let them finish the second half of the game, it's way better. I know from experience because you can have a student quit because of this. I mean, honestly, you'll have a student who really needs you. Like, you don't want to give up on them, but you're upset and you're kind of frustrated that they were misbehaving and being disrespectful and you're like, hey, you got to sit out the whole game. They go home, they sulk and they're upset, etc. They, they just don't want to come back to class. Their parents try to pull them back to class. They don't want to come. But even if they get sat out for half the class or most of it or most of the game and then they get to finish, the last thing that a student remembers is significantly more powerful. It's the recency effect. I just want to point that out. Did the students have fun, show interest, and give level 10 effort during the game? Well, that just means you designed a good game and that it's something that they actually enjoyed. Was the game relevant to martial arts training or physical mental development in any way? So we're not talking about playing a card game or video games or just playing something that has absolutely no relevance to martial arts training. It needs to work on agility and speed and something that can be tied back to their physical training. The last section on the evaluation is called high-level classroom floor checklist. This is really what separates the world-class instructors from the no-class instructors. A challenge was presented to the students at least once during the class. Students absolutely love challenges. Adults and kids do. I, I call these things challenges. So it's like, who's ready for a challenge? And the challenge could be something really hard, like they were working on high round kicks, but then one student's going to try to kick really high. I'm going to hold the mitt like significantly over their head. But if they do it, I have to do 10 push-ups. If they don't touch it, they have to do like 20 push-ups, something like that. But challenges are very fun, and they really are something that students look forward to doing. Some sort of mandatory equipment was used during the class at once. If you have your students buy equipment and whenever they sign up, maybe they get a helmet and boxing gloves and shin guards or whatever it might be, and you never use it, like why did you have them buy it? So if you're doing punches on bags, if you're doing leg kicks, things like that, remember to actually have them put their equipment on for those particular sections. The parents were involved in the class in some way. Whether they voted on a competition that you did or they clapped or the instructor addressed them, the parents smile, they laugh, they were entertained. So again, this is really specific to a kid's class. But even if you have an adult class, you can address those who are watching class and the spectators. But you realize that they're in the room. You realize they're a part of what's happening here. If you didn't realize this, the parents are actually paying for your class. So you want to make sure that they're having a good time. You want to make sure that they're actually a part of the experience at some level. You don't want to make them feel uncomfortable and drag people out that don't want to be there and do that every class or something. But it really creates a unique dynamic energy in the room. The parents slash um, audience were in control. The noise level was good. The room was quiet, respectful, and focused. Uh, this one has been a big issue before with some of my instructors in the past. They pretty much allow parents to talk all the time or get on their phone and play games and all these things. If you allow that, it makes it so much harder for your students to focus on you, first of all. It just shows that you don't have a culture of high-level training, that this is just some place where anyone can do whatever they want. 
You can't allow that. There have to be obvious rules where you can't be on the phone when you're in the room. If you have a toddler who's out of hand, that they need to step outside or go into your kid's room or the bathroom or something. Um, and just have those rules posted and make it known when you enroll people so they don't feel bad about it whenever you ask them to do that later on. Or the assistants helping properly. So if you had an assistant, an assistant instructor or a leadership team member on the floor with you, having equipment set out in advance for drills, working the volume properly, maybe they were working their control for your music, praise, correct praise with students giving personal attention. So like, what were the assistants doing? Were they actually doing all these things? Did they have all the equipment set up in advance? Were they a part of the class or were they just kind of joking, playing around, um, thinking they're cool just because they have a leadership team shirt on? The attitude of the class was very positive. All the belt ranks were motivated and inspired to produce peak performance. This is one of those that you're going to gloss over. You're like, yeah, okay. Yeah, it was great. So really though, did everyone, was everyone positive? Were they all inspired? Were they all working? Did they enjoy class? Were they at that peak performance? Maybe you had a couple of white belts that were there because they just started. They love class. They're, they're gung-ho about everything. But some of your brown belts that should be the very best on the classroom floor are getting a little bit um, in the middle, okay, a little bit lazy, or they just don't seem as inspired anymore or motivated. You need to be aware of that. Okay? That's very important. Every student in the class received the three touches. Their name was called, a physical touch, and eye contact. If you have a really big classroom, uh, this is how, well, if you have a really big class that is like 20, 30 students, this makes it harder. But if you have 20, 30 students, you should also have assistants or leadership team students. That means even if you didn't personally do it, um, someone did the three touches all the way across the board. Every student receives some sort of personal attention during repetition sections of the class. Either a PCP, which means praise, correct, praise, a motivator, or otherwise. So whenever you're actually doing the repetition sections, during the curriculum or during the black belt skill, like, did you skip over a couple of people just because you don't typically like to talk to them or because you have others that need more help? You know, did everyone actually get that personal attention? If you're watching your own video of you teaching a class, you can actually see this. You can see who you, you, you talk to or who you yell things out to, right? That's the power of doing an actual evaluation and not just listening to my podcast episode and forgetting this forever. How did the students feel after the class was over? How did they really feel? Ready to go home? Excited about their training and the energy of the school? Unmotivated to come back to class due to poor excitement, no personal attention, getting in trouble, and then not really having it addressed after class. Each and every student felt some way when class was over. Which one was it? Ask yourself that question. To help you out, you know what? I'm going to put the entire instructor evaluation form on the Global Martial Arts University blog. So you'll find this particular episode on the GMAU blog, and I'm going to include a free download where you can download the entire instructor evaluation checklist. Print that out, use it on yourself, film a class, and then go all the way through it. Or ask one of your instructors to do that for you. I'm telling you, there are things on this list that you are not doing. There are things that are going to open your eyes up and they're going to make you better. This is how you become a world-class instructor. This is how you fill up your school. This is how you have people talking about you all the time. You don't have to constantly be worrying about people signing up. You don't have to constantly worry about where's your income going to come from next month. 
how many students are going to be quitting, etc. I'm not telling you those things can't potentially be stressors, but if you are the best martial arts instructor in your town or in your region or in your area, you're going to be just fine. And I have to admit, I don't think anyone else in my particular area is doing this, and probably not in your area either. So just for listening to Rank Up, for taking the time to educate yourself on becoming a better martial arts instructor, I applaud you, and I think you're doing a great job. For the question of the day, I'm going to answer the question, what is your favorite equipment to use during class? Now, you might already use a lot of the same equipment. You think this is a boring question. But if you're a newer instructor, you're getting ready to open up a school, a facility, you might wonder, hmm, what are the things I should actually buy? So first, really important is a speaker. I use a simple Bluetooth speaker bar. It's a sound bar that I plug in. It's not like a portable Bluetooth speaker. It gives good sound. I just connect it to my phone on Bluetooth, and we use it for music during class. I really like using music during a lot of sections of my class. I know that some schools are much more traditional and would not do that. But even if you have a more traditional school, music without um, lyrics, just a beat style, energetic music will really help out on uh, sections of your class. Next are really good mats. So I have one and a half inch tatami style mats. Uh, one and a half inch to two inch tatami or smooth MMA mats are really good options. Not only, not only do they look amazing, they give your school that really impressive professional feel, but they really save your body. I mean, if you're doing throws, you're grappling, you're rolling around, you're the one who's teaching, you're the one who's on those mats more than anyone else is. You need to protect your own body. Next, square hand targets. These are the, they're just little squares that are larger than your hand, but they're actually square and dimensional. I really like them because they're so multi-purpose. You can just put them on your hands and essentially use them like focus mints. You can hold them for kicks. You can do blocking drills. You can put them on the ground and run across them for balance drills. Um, it's just a really great piece that you can use for whatever style you're doing, actually. Next are focus mitts. So at the beginning, you might not be able to afford getting square hand targets and focus mitts, but if you're doing a kickboxing or a stand-up striking art that uses boxing gloves, the curved focus mitts are extremely nice to have. Next would be kick shields. So like, for example, when I started my school, the equipment that I got was square hand targets, maybe 20 of them, and then kick shields, possibly 8 or 10 of those, and then also some wave masters. Um, but the kick shields, they make them in just the regular um, rectangular version. They have the curved version, and they also have the thicker version. I have actually all three. I like the regular rectangular version. They're a little less expensive, and they actually give you a lot of different versatility. And tombstones, these are the uppercut um, striking bags. They look like a tombstone in a way they're called a tombstone. Uh, they're especially used in Krav Maga a lot. They have multi-angles for striking surfaces, and they're extremely useful. If you're doing self-protection striking, combatives, you're doing Krav Maga, tombstones are really nice. And Wave Masters, um, which is actually a brand or a type of freestanding bag from Century Martial Arts, but freestanding bags that are not hanging bags. Freestanding bags I can roll around. I can assort them however I want. I can put them against the wall and we're not using them. I can have four students around each bag at a time, or I can make a drill line behind each bag. Very versatile. I really like having freestanding bags. I also have a few blockers. Um, these are actually maybe three feet long or so, and they have padding around them. I like to use blockers sometimes whenever I'm demonstrating 
maybe a blunt weapon defense, doing blocking drills, whether it be traditional or 360 blocking or a high block or a low block or anything, they're nice to have. And I want to mention that all the equipment that I currently use is from Century Martial Arts, which is out of Oklahoma City, and I think they're the world's largest martial arts supplier right now. It's not a plug for them or anything, but I have been using equipment from them ever since I started doing martial arts, and their equipment does seem to last a long time. I know that others will use Rev Gear and other types of suppliers, but be wary of these really cheap ones that you can find on Amazon or other places that are pretty much just manufactured directly in China and then shipped in. They might be a lot less expensive up front, but they can easily wear and tear down um, much faster. So you want your equipment to last you for several years. I also want to recommend something like Sentry or someone who can give you branded equipment. All of the gear that I use, the bags, the square hand targets, all those always have our logo on them. So it makes our school look much nicer, much more consistent, much more professional as well. So I hope you enjoyed this episode. Um, I really enjoyed it personally because it reminded me of a few things that I need to be doing in my own classes. So I need to do my instructor performance evaluation, or really, ideally, I need to have someone else do it for me. But if you have any questions at all for a future episode, please leave it at the bottom of the blog post that's connected to this podcast episode. And I look forward to seeing you guys next time. As always, keep learning, keep training, and continue spreading abundance.